This is Damien from New City, Orlando. This is the second part of a conversation that I had with author and speaker Jen Pollock-Michelle. If you haven't listened to the first part of this conversation, you might want to go back and listen to that first, because in this part, we pick up right where we left off. And in this segment of the conversation, we engage questions around what are false versions of belonging that have been offered to us in our present cultural moment. And particularly, how can a church like New City become a place of belonging for people? We hope you enjoy the second part of the conversation. I'm curious, as we, we're now talking about these, these external realities, there's the internal realities of making us not want mm-hmm. to lay down our lives, taking upon the burden of love, taking up the towel, to use that language, mm-hmm. in order to do what you did for that woman last night in order to pursue her and be kind to her and invite her into um, a human relationship, mm. very simply. And it was deeply meaningful to her and you had no idea. Mm-hmm. But that, from that small burden bearing, I'm going to move towards this person, even though I want someone to move towards me, you, there, are, there are other larger ones. And, and we, we've gotten into this, the, the, the reality of truly loving a child, as you mentioned, or truly loving a spouse or a friend or a roommate or a neighbor. There, there's this big spectrum of what that means. And, and some of the challenge anywhere you fall on that spectrum of taking up this burden mm. is internal. You know, a lot of it is there's, there's, we still experience the flesh. We still experience selfishness and a curved in on one another, believing that we know what's best, believing that we should be Lord. And, but there are also external realities. Mm-hmm. There, there are, um, there are cultures around us and there is a general headwind that's always around us, sort of a spirit of the age. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, uh, as you've been reflecting on how that uh, around us, these external winds that are blowing, how does that form us and in, in how does it malform us? How does it, how does it uh, get in the way of what this clear call from Scripture is to, to burden-bearing love? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the lessons that our culture teaches us about desire are very malforming. Mm. You know, this idea that whatever you want is right and worthy to be pursued, and should anyone stand in your way, then they're wrong, you know? And that, and it um, somehow impedes what you want to do, you know? And so we just don't, we just don't even have a framework anymore for self-sacrifice, you Mm. know? I mean, self-sacrifice, like the negation of your own desires or um, forfeiting willingly your own desires, like that looks really stupid and naive. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think especially for women, I mean, I have to say, like, I think, um, you know, yeah, I just feel like as a woman that so much now is about um, asserting my rights and mm-hmm. asserting the things that I'm entitled to. And so to give anything up for my husband or my children, like that looks just incredibly naive and yeah. actually weak. Mm. Um, so I think there's that. I think there's just this general um, cultural messaging around desire that, yeah. of course, pers- pursue it um, full throttle. You know, don't ever, don't, don't hold back. Um, it's interesting. I heard two um, interviews on a podcast recently, the New York Times Book Review. Okay, and I think they they touched on something that I think answers this question too. Two separate people. One is a law professor and a philosophy press, professor at NYU. Okay, and he was just talking about this this rise of identity. Mm-hmm. You know that like now we have all these like 
smaller and smaller and narrower categories for identity, you know, that it's not just race and religion, it's, you know, sexual identity. And I mean, all these ways that we kind of fracture and fragment Mm -hmm. as, as a people, you know, that I can actually really now only be understood and fully loved by the people that are, that are like me. Mm-hmm. that identify with my labels. Yeah. And so I think that's a real challenge for the church is mm-hmm. to say that what is primary about our identity is that we are children of God. Yeah. You know, and that isn't to say, I think, again, I think there's a paradox there because we go mm-hmm. to in Revelation and it's not like, you know, when, when John looks out over the sea of humanity, redeemed humanity, there's a ton of difference there. Mm-hmm. They're speaking mm-hmm. different languages. They're different races. Like there is difference present yes. in the kingdom of God. Um, but that isn't to say that that's primarily how we identify ourselves is by our differences mm-hmm. and these so I think there's that. And the other guy that I was listening to who was being interviewed was Jonathan Haidt. Um, and he was talking about, you know, just the kind of this culture of like, we're now we're all infinitely fragile that everybody, um, you know, for instance, like in the university that, you know, professors can't say anything that might trigger me to have some kind of a negative emotional response that mm-hmm. I have to be protected. And, and he was saying, he was saying like, what if we just became a society that instead of assuming that everybody was out to get me and hurt me, that we actually just um, gave each other be- the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. that if I was injured by someone that it, that I wouldn't actually just look at the impact, but I'd look at the intent. Yeah. And so those are just, I feel like culturally we're just in, in this time where we're divided by our differences. We're injured immediately by people. We just assume that, you know, people are kind of out to get us and that, um, that I'm fragile and you better not say anything to hurt me. And what if the church could kind of recover being a community that is unified in difference, mm-hmm. um, that also believes the best in each other? I mean, mm-hmm. it's just so simple, but First yeah. Corinthians 13, like you can't, you can't go back to that often enough, can you? Right. Love believes the best and hopes for the best and endures. And, and it's not rude. <laughs> and it's not rude. And it's patient. It's mm. forbearing. I think there's a lot of um, that we're talking about. Like when you talk about burdens in relationship, there's there's a forbearance that's required of us just to kind of be human and be with each other. Mm. So in a culture where we can try to create our identity by our desires. So yeah. we sort of say, I have desires. I'm going to pursue those so that they become my identity. I must create mm. an mm. identity for myself. Mm-hmm. How can we as Christians still lean into the robustness of the beauty of wanting, of longing, of desiring, mm. and not push it away as something dangerous because we see it being misused. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, like Paul and Romans where he talks about, you know, we're baptized into Christ, into his death, and raised to walk in newness of life. And mm. I think this idea of like the old self and the new self and the, 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 the self that's died with Christ, the self that's resurrected with Christ gives us like a framework for thinking about the redemption of desire. Mm. You know, it's not that, you know, we aren't, desire isn't dead and, you know, isn't buried with Christ, never to be resurrected. It's resurrected to be new. Mm. And so this idea that we can be formed into the desires of God, Mm. I think is an Mm. amazing way to start reading scripture. What does God long for? Mm. And that's kind of what the whole first book is about. Teach just one is just looking at the Lord's prayer as a way that we're apprenticed into the desires of God. Mm. What does God want? Well, he wants his name to be made holy. 
He wants his kingdom to come, his will to be done. And that's always first and primary. But then there's all this stuff that we, you know, we get to bring our humanness mm. into our life with God and we get, we're hungry and we need reconciliation in our relationships and we need help and strength in our times yeah. of temptation. We need forgiveness. Like they, we get to be entirely human. Yeah. And so I think that it's, it is a both and kind of idea that we want what God wants and as we grow to be unified with Christ, our wanting becomes his wanting. Mm. You know, that what happens isn't that we just turn the spigot of desire off, but we actually start running the clear, pure water of Christ wholly desiring in the world. It's a beautiful image. It, it, as soon as you said it, it immediately popped into my mind. Mm. I saw dirty water, sort yeah. of cloudy, cloudy, and then clear. Mm. And that would be our hope, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that has to be a part of what Jesus is saying and teaching us to pray, the Lord's Prayer, that God's kingdom would come uh, and his will would be done as earth, on earth as it is in heaven. But of course, Luther said, Martin Luther said that when he would pray it, he would first pray that that would happen in his heart. Yes. And certainly that would reframe our desires as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Maybe mm-hmm. we start, maybe we don't always start there, but let's not forget to mm-hmm. start with that or to pray that that would happen in our heart, that God's kingdom would come. That's right. And then, of course, in the world around us and maybe through us. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if you may have already spoken to these. It's sort of a similar question. But what are the false versions of belonging that we have offered to us in our present cultural moment? If we long for it, there are certainly must be counterfeits that people are settling for. And I'm curious if you, if any of those come to your mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, similarly, kind of what we've talked about, like the belonging of affinity groups, you know, mm. that I, I can belong insofar as I'm with people who look like me and think like me and act like me and vote like me. Yeah. And that's a real challenge to the church, right? That we don't just yeah. look like an affinity group. Mm. Um, but I mean, what a witness to the world if our churches could actually really express unity in the midst of difference. Um, I'd love to see that. Um, I think belonging, that's always voluntary, right? Mm. That every relationship, that you look for belonging, it's something that you choose and something that you forfeit, and it's always, you're sort of always the one initiating it. Mm. And in Christ, like to think about the baptism analogy, you're baptized into Christ and into the waters of belonging. Mm. That's and good. as Presbyterians, you're baptized before you can chew it, choose it, right? That's right, exactly. <laughs> um, so thinking about belonging in ways that are different than just the relationships I voluntarily choose. Mm. And um, yeah, those would, be, those would be some examples. I think, to be honest, there's also a way that we can just push back on the cynicism that belonging is, even, is not possible. Mm. I think that, you know, if you look at, art and literature and sort of the cultural, the ethos in so much of that, it's it's despair and it's alienation. It's like, of course, this is sort of the human condition that we're alienated, that we don't ever belong anywhere. Mm. And to just yeah. lean into the hope that it is possible to belong, that we can actually belong to God 
And to satisfy that is to satisfy the restless soul, as Augustine would say, right? To find mm-hmm. rest, um, eternal rest for a restless soul. But we don't just belong to God, that we can also belong to his family. Mm-hmm. And um, that's great a greater belonging than any kind of voluntary friendship or marriage relationship that we would ever have. Yeah, that's beautiful. So how can a church, and I'm going to say like New City, because more people will probably listen to this, but that's who I'm thinking about right now. How can a church like New City or like the church that you uh, are a member of in Toronto become a place of belonging for people? Mm. I think, um, I think first of all, just always rooting the idea of belonging first and foremost in our relationship with God. Mm. Um, because I think if we look for it horizontally first, um, there's going to be disappointment, you know, to just constantly point people back to the true source of belonging. And it's not an either or, like either you belong to God or you belong, but where are we looking for it primarily? And yeah. and, and can we just agree that um, on this side of heaven, our churches are going to be imperfect places of belonging? Mm. Um, I think that's part of it. I think it, again, it's, I want to go back kind of to the language of the housekeeping too, yeah. you know, and I, I actually, you mentioned Henry Nowen and in the pair, um, the prodigal son, his book, the prodigal yeah. son, he talks about how he started to read that um, parable differently, that he'd always sort of seen himself in the roles of either brothers, you know, he'd seen himself as the younger brother, you know, um, he'd seen himself as the self-righteous older brother. And he said, I started though to wonder if God wanted him to see himself in the role of the father. Mm. And I think that could sound incredibly irreverent, like what we're supposed to be God now, but kind of, we are Christ in the world, you Mm -hmm. know, that we actually aren't just the ones welcome to the table, that we're actually the ones doing the welcoming. And I think that could transform a church culture. I think it's very easy to come into a church and just sort of want other people to extend the belonging to you. Mm-hmm. But how? And and of course, that would be natural if you're an, if you're new to a church. Um, but if you if you aren't, um, you can also think about ways that you can extend belonging and. I think it, here would be a really practical example. I was just recently, we're actually doing a series. I'm a magazine editor for our church's magazine. We're running a series called Life Together. And um, it's about the search for belonging, mm. essentially. And how are people finding it in the church? And how might they not be finding it? And we just recently interviewed someone and she said, you know, the real mark of belonging in our church culture is when you get that lunch invitation after Sunday worship. Oh, wow. And she said it took an entire year to get her first lunch invitation. Now, I'm going to be honest and say we've never been invited to lunch, but that's probably because we have five kids. <laughs> yeah. And there aren't a lot of restaurants in downtown Toronto that um, would accommodate all of us, and not a lot of condos either, um, which is totally fine um, because we do a lot of inviting. But um, I didn't realize that that was kind of the culture of the church, that uh-huh. here, was the, here was the sign that you belonged. You got the invitation. And she said um, one thing that was really hard is that she couldn't do the, she like, she was a student when she first came to the church, and so she didn't have money to go out to lunch, even if she had been invited. And just, you know, just I guess maybe in our church cultures, if we could sort of self reflect, yeah, that's good. Ask deep questions and say, what are the markers of belonging in this church, and how do we break down the barriers so mm-hmm. that people get there more quickly? 
And it's not the formal stuff, right? It's not usually like membership or attending a certain, you know, going to certain events. It's the informal things that make you feel as if you belong. It's that informal invitation after lunch on a Sunday. If we in leadership could identify that and set our people out to say, now you are commissioned to go and invite strangers to lunch this mm-hmm. Sunday. And, and here we'll make it even easier. We'll put a, you know, a gift card in your hand so that you can, and even if it's not lunch, take somebody out to coffee. You know, we actually did that. I think our first Sunday in our new building, we um, have just recently over the last couple of years renovated a historic building, church building in Toronto. And the first Sunday that we held worship in the space, um, like every under every third seat, there was a Tim Hortons because it's Canada. Right. There was a Tim Hortons gift card, and, every, and it was like you were commissioned now to just go take somebody out to coffee. Beautiful. Like if we could just make it easy to to extend those more informal invitations. Mm-hmm. I love those ideas. Thank you for that. My last question is: if you and if you reflect reflect on your life your formation, and someone were to teach a class on your life, what would be on the syllabus? What kind of reading? Oh, what kind of reading? Yeah. Books specifically? Yeah, it could, be, it could be music, it could be art, it could be books, it could be movies, it could be, yeah, I'll leave that open to you. Yeah, it's mostly going to be books. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually confess that when my husband and I got married, because he's like a real, really big music person, okay. and he would name these very popular <laughs> celebrity musicians, and I'd be like, who? That's, I love Who is that. that? Um, so yeah, I'm not like a huge music person, um, but yeah, books. Well, first of all, I mean, I'm just going to have to say scripture and that's not a cop out, but actually that's people in my life um, modeling a love for scripture. And my next book is actually um, dedicated to all the pastors who oh, wow. preach um, the scripture and try not to miss the wonder. Wow. I feel like a lot. I've had a lot of wonderful pastors in my life who have taught me to love Scripture. Um, so there's that. Um, Jamie Smith, James K. Smith, is like he's going to be top of the curriculum. Um, his book, Desiring the Kingdom, has been incredibly important for me. More recently, in the last probably seven years, but um, and he has an easier, more popular version called um, You Are What You Love. So that's going to be on there. N.T. Wright is going to be on there. Um, what what St. Paul really said, I think, mm-hmm. was really important. Um, Eugene Peterson is going to be on there. Henry Nowen. Um, but I love to read, you know, I have a master's in literature, so mm-hmm. I'm, an, I'm a novel reader too. You know, Middlemarch by George Eliot. Um, I had a quote from from that novel on my website for a really long time, and I finally just took it down. <laughs> it's like... So good, you know. Was that hard for you? It was. It was really hard. (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, you know, Anna Karenina, the the Russian novels. Um, My daughter's getting ready to read *Death of a Salesman*. I used to teach. um, I used to teach high school French and English. So, um, you know, I taught *Death of a Salesman*. I'm like, oh, that's you're gonna love it. So there's gonna be a lot of kind of different literature on there as well. Poetry. Okay. Uh, Mary Carr, okay. her poems, um, her poetry, her memoirs. Um, Caitlin Flanagan is a favorite writer. She writes for The Atlantic. She's not a Christian, but I, I love her writing. Um, yeah. 
I don't know. It's so hard. It's like, what are you reading right now? Well, right now I'm reading David Brooks' The Road to Character because okay. I'm actually going to interview him later this month. Um, I love reading stories of conversion, you know, yeah. Girl Meets God, Lauren Winner, mm-hmm. Thomas Merton, um, stories, how people come to faith. That's a real curiosity for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's not in any systematic order or anything. But it was effortless, and that was impressive. I love books. I yeah. I'm. I wish I were reading more, actually. And now I have I have to read a lot for the work that I'm doing, which is great. But oh my goodness! So now I just thought of Graham Greene. Okay. Um, a new novel, and well, he's not new, but a novelist that's new to me. I read The Heart of the Matter this summer. So beautiful. Mm. He talks. He's a Catholic writer, and in one of the lines, he talks about attending the mass and having to press his hands over his eyes to keep the tears of longing in. Oh wow! So incredibly beautiful. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. Even that line alone, I'm, mm. I'm glad it popped into your mind. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being with us, and I'm encouraged that you'll get a. You're going now to bless the women in our church, mm. including my wife, and I'm grateful for that. So thank you for coming down here. Thank you so much for having me.